All right, Genesis 27. This is where we pick back up in our study together. If you remember in some of our prior studies at the conception and during the pregnancy of Rebecca, who was carrying these two twins uh, in her womb, remember Jacob and Esau, that God gave a prophecy uh, to her in the midst of the struggle of these two sons in her womb, uh, letting her know that they would form two different nations. And this prophetic word came forth uh, that the older shall serve the younger. That is, God was going to reverse the natural order and that Jacob, the younger son, was actually going to be the one who would end up inheriting the promise of God that was upon Abraham and then transferred to Isaac and Jacob, not Esau. Jacob himself would end up inheriting uh, that Abrahamic covenant and promise that God gave to them as a people. And that God was going to reverse, again, the natural way things were done culturally. Typically, the older son would be the one who would receive the birthright and the blessing. That was just the natural order of the way they did things. But a lot of times, God reverses the natural order and doesn't do things the way uh, that we do them. You know, we see that many times throughout the scripture. Here, we see it with... You know, David, where all the different sons are brought before Samuel looking for the next king of Israel and, and son after son. And then eventually, Samuel, you know, do you have any more sons at all? And well, well, oh, yeah, I do. I, I had this one son, you know, I mean, just what a Certainly can't be him, though, and he's out in the field chasing the sheep, and he's young and ruddy and redheaded and just, you know, just kind of the redheaded stepchild kind of attitude and just couldn't possibly be him. Listen, we need to see all your sons. God said it's one of your sons, so they go and fetch David, and, of course, then that reproof comes uh, to the Lord uh, th that God does not see as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. And, again, God creates us he designs us he knits us together psalm 139 says in our mother's womb uh, and god knows his plans and intentions for all of our lives before any one of us are, are ever born uh, again jeremiah the prophet says was ordained to be a prophet uh, before he was even brought forth when he was still in his mother's womb god ordained him to be a prophet unto the nations. And that what was his concern. Oh, I'm just a youth, Lord, and, and certainly I, why, why would you use me? But again, God doesn't always honor the natural way that we do things in our culture and in society. And this was the case here, the call of God. And this is what's important as we go into chapter 27 to remember the call of God was upon the life of Jacob. Jacob was the one whose God's calling was upon to receive and to inherit the birthright, the blessing, and to be the one of the patriarchs who would then carry the line of Israel and the Abrahamic covenant into the next generation. It was for Jacob and not for Esau. Now with that remembrance of God's prophetic word given to the family, to Isaac and Rebekah, it then makes what's happening here in chapter 27 all the more interesting because it says chapter 27 verse 1, Now it came to pass... When Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, so he's aging, he's beginning to uh, have a weakening in his eyesight, he's struggling with his ability to see as clearly as he once did because of the aging process, that in the midst of this time of, of, of old age, that it says he called Esau his older son, 
and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. And then he said, Behold now, I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. In other words, he's thinking, I'm getting up in years. I sense at any time now my life may expire. I don't know how many years I have left. Now, interesting, he actually chronologically lasts about a, a little over 40 years beyond this this point. But nonetheless, he's at an age where he realizes, look, I don't know when my time is up. I'm getting older. And he's gonna. you're going to see here he wants to transfer his blessing. It was typical in that day that fathers would pronounce a blessing over their children uh, prior to their death. And he, and he realizes this could be at any time, so he wants to make sure he addresses something before he dies. So he says, I'm old. I don't know when the day of my death is going to be. But then this begins to happen. Verse 3, now, therefore, he's telling Esau, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and make me savory food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat and that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, the two uh, two uh, sort of coupled together words you ought to pay attention to there in verse 4, my soul bless you. Isaac, what are you doing here? You're going in complete contradiction to the plan of God. You're going in complete contradiction to the call of God that he knows is upon the life of his younger son, Jacob. But it seems, remember we saw in prior chapters, and it even tells us here, it refers to Esau as Esau as Isaac's son, and it refers to Jacob as uh, Rebekah's son. And it seems this dynamic happened in the family where there was a little bit of an unhealthy favoritism type thing where uh, Isaac just seemed to take a real liking to Esau and he was a man of the field and a hunter and Jacob seemed to be more of a homebody and he hung around the tents and he helped take care of the herds and he seemed to establish a real connection and affiliation with his mother. And because of this dynamic of an emotional bond, it seems... And this liking of his one son for whatever reasons of personal preferences, he, he kind of you know liked some of the aspects of who this one son was. Here we find Isaac now completely disregarding God's plan, completely ignoring what the call and the purposes of God were, and instead seeking to orchestrate his own plans and purposes because he says, verse 4, go hunt for me, bring me in some food. I want to have one last good meal and then together while we're having that meal to make sure I address this before I die. He says, my soul will pronounce the blessing upon you. I want to pronounce that patriarchal blessing upon your life. And again, here he is responding to what he thinks is right in his own logic, maybe what he feels right in his own emotions, but it's a complete contradiction to God's plan. It's interesting to me that you have this whole event going on here, and it almost seems like this is transpiring very clearly because verse 5 says that Rebecca was listening in. The idea is that his wife, Rebecca, is kind of eavesdropping on this conversation between father and and son about what their little plan is. So it seems to me that the, this father and son here, they're kind of having this little secretive conversation. And the question becomes again, why? You know, what, Why are they doing this secretly? Why does it seem they're not sharing this with the rest of the family? How come Isaac isn't including Rebecca and Jacob? And this is not something they're talking about together as a husband and wife, but instead he's kind of just doing this independently and kind of privately and secretly. Well, I can tell you why, because he's defying God's will. 
And, and, and a lot of times when we're defying God's will, we kind of tend to isolate ourselves and go off and do things kind of independently and secretly. We don't want to share with other people what's going on because why? If he shared what was going on, more than likely his wife would have, she would have challenged him. And she would have said, wait a minute, what are you doing? We know what God's plan is. The family understands what God's purpose is. And just because it's not according to your liking doesn't mean that you should do what your soul wants rather than what God's spirit desires and has directed us to do. And you see them here really, in essence, trying to defy God's will and trying to thwart God's plan to orchestrate their own. Let my soul bless you when that blessing we know, of course, really was intended for Jacob the younger son. Verse 5, notice, now Rebekah, the wife, she was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son. So she's kind of eavesdropping in, and she recognizes what's going to happen here. Hey, these two are going to try and thwart God's plan and defy God's will and purpose. And Esau went out to the field, his father dismissed him to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah, notice, spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make me savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. So she's eavesdropping. She hears what her husband's about to do, and she rightfully realizes, What is he doing? He's going in contradiction to God's purposes, and, 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 and he's doing the wrong thing. So what does she do? She now takes it upon herself to be the problem solver. So she all of a sudden decides now, oh, they think they're going to scheme. They haven't seen scheming like I can scheme. So she, so she gets Jacob, her son, and she says, wait a minute. We're going to put an end to this. You're going the wrong direction. You're not following God. And by golly, we can't let you not follow God and we can't have you go in a direction that's not God's purpose. So therefore, she now, in an effort of the flesh and by human effort, is scheming to try and stop what seems to be wrong. And in essence, quite honestly, it really was wrong. They were going in opposition to what God's plan was. But by human efforts now, she's going to try and out-scheme the scheme that's going against God's plan. And it's just the whole family is just getting totally carnal here. Because now we're trying to solve God's problems for him through human effort and through carnal means. And again, rather than dealing with it through healthy communication and discussing things, instead you have a completely disunified marriage relationship. And now the wife is saying, hey, I'm not going to let you make that kind of mistake, you dumb husband. I'm going to fix the problem myself and I'm just going to intervene here and take the matter into my own hands. So she's going to come up with her own little scheme and she calls Jacob lets him know what's going on. And she says, now you listen to my voice. Obey my voice and do what I command you. And she's going to give him her little plan to stop what's taking place and to send it in a different direction. Again, I have underlined in my Bible in verse 8 where she says to her son, obey my voice. Now, at this point, Jacob is a grown man. He's a grown man at this point. And again, the Bible says, honor your mother and father, but by the same token, at this point, he is a grown man, and ultimately, for all of us, the most important thing is that we obey God's voice. And at this point, he's going to obey mama's voice. And because he's still obeying mama's voice instead of obeying God's voice, he does some things that he shouldn't do. 
and he gets himself in some places that really he shouldn't be because he's obeying mama's voice because of his emotional attachment and April strings to mama instead of obeying God's voice. Wait a minute, mom. Is this really what God would have us to do? But instead, she, she's putting, obey my voice. And, you know, Sometimes, I'll tell you, I, I see dynamics on occasion where grown men and grown women still, at times, instead of making their own godly independent choices, sometimes are still being pressured by their parents to make decisions and to do things sometimes that they really shouldn't be doing. And she says, hey, you just obey my voice do what I command you, verse 9, here's her plan. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats. And I will make savory food for them for your father such as he loves. So apparently Rebecca was a pretty good cook. She was going to somehow be able to actually make goat meat taste like venison. So this is a talented woman here. She's going to say, go out, get me some goats. I'm going to make it up like that savory food that your father likes. He won't even be able to tell the difference. Now, that could be, too, because his taste buds are failing in old age, too. I don't know. He can't see what's going on. He really can't taste anything anymore anyway. Just it's meat in his mouth, and that's typically what a guy likes. So that it could be what's happening. So it's just you go out, get me some animals, bring them in, verse 10, and then you shall take it into your father that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death that blessing should be yours and we're going to make sure that he blesses you even if he thinks he's blessing your brother as he's wrongly trying to verse 11 and jacob said to rebecca his mother look esau my brother is a hairy man and i'm a smooth skinned man perhaps my father will feel me he'll touch me when we embrace and i shall seem to be a deceiver to him and i shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. Well, she has a solution for that. Again, she's thought this through. She's got matters into her own hands now. Verse 11, his mother said, Listen, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. She says, look, don't worry about that. That's not going to happen. Listen, I, I, you just let your curse come upon me. Now, the sad thing is she had no idea what she was saying when she said that because the truth of the matter is through this process, very shortly afterwards, her son is going to have to get driven from her home. And this son who she loves so much, she's never going to see him again the rest of her life. Because he will never come back home and she will never see the son again before she dies. And she had no idea. She was thinking, oh, what's the big deal? Just a little, just a little compromise here or there. Oh, just, just whatever, however it falls. Let your curse be on me. No big deal. She had no idea the impact of the curse of the decisions that she was going to make because ultimately her son disappears who she was very attached to and she ultimately again never sees him we'll see as we get towards the end of the chapter so she says just don't worry about it verse 13 his mother said to him let your curse be on me my son just just obey my voice come on go out and get the animals so he went and got the animals verse 14 brought them back to his mother she made some of that savory food such as his father loved. And then Rebecca took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house. And she, noticed put them on Jacob, her younger son. So she says here, put on Esau's garments, wear his clothing. Verse 16, and she put the skins, the animal skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. So somehow she attaches on his 
you know, kind of probably from his forearm area down, which would be exposed, and around his neck area where skin was exposed, some of the goat skins, so that when her father, or when the father embraced him, he would think it was Esau. Remember, it says that Esau's name literally means hairy, and he was a hairy man. But let me just say this. You've seen goat skins before? I mean, can you imagine, in order to have to mimic Esau, she attaches goat skins to the guy... I mean, Esau must have been like Chewbacca or something. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I think, envisioning them, think, like, remember Chewbacca from Star Wars? I mean, goat skins? Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's definitely, I mean, this was a, this guy was hairy with a big capital H. I mean, this was a hairy, hairy guy for what they're having to do to mimic what his hands and his neck feels like. So, verse 17, she gave savory food and bread, which she prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. And so he went into his father and said, my father, and he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Take notice already. Already, something doesn't seem right, and it seems that Isaac senses that already. And again, I see all these little moments where he's saying, who are you? Is that really you? And this happens a couple times, we'll see. And what I think is happening is I think the Spirit of God is continuing, like he always does, to prompt and give opportunities for everybody to blow the horn and call a stop on this thing before things go further in a wrong direction. Jacob's mistake is what he ends up learning to do here because he becomes quite a conniver and a schemer, is he's developing the ability to learn how to silence the voice of his own conscience. Because you know, as these questionable things come up, who are you? You sound like my son, uh, you know, you sound like my son Jacob, but you may feel like he's, but you sure? And every time he pushes past it, he pushes past it, and he ignores the blinking light of his own conscience trying to confront him in regards to the thing that he's doing. It's always a dangerous thing when we do that. And I see the Lord, you know, he's so faithful to warn us of things when we're heading down a course that we know we shouldn't be going on, maybe doing things in a way that we really shouldn't be doing them. Jacob says to his father, when he says, who are you, my son? He says, verse 19, I am Esau, your firstborn. First lie. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? Again, I just sent you out, and all of a sudden you're back, having hunted and cooked the meal already. His answer, verse 20, because the Lord your God brought it to me. Now he brings God into the picture. Oh, God blessed me. I found an animal right away. It was a quick hunt. The Lord gave me good success. The Lord brought this animal quickly to me. Now he takes God's name into vain, in a sense, and brings God into the whole process, using his name to cover things up. Verse 21, Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, whether you're really my son Esau or not. So his son must have been unique. He, so Jacob went near to Isaac and his father, and he felt him, and he said, The voice is the voice of Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were very hairy, like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Look at verse 24 again. Then Isaac said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. 
You see how repeatedly here through this process, there's this sense of something doesn't seem right and multiple opportunities. And Isaac just continues to sense something not right, it seems. And again, Jacob, however, unfortunately, he passes by each opportunity that God gives to him to make things right, to handle things in a right way. And in his lack of trust that God could still do what God was going to do, for him and fulfill his plans for his life, irregardless of what Isaac and Esau were scheming. He should have trusted that. Instead, he's taken his mom's idea and he's taken matters into his own hands and he's trying to make it happen himself, thinking that God needs his assistance. And in so doing, he's stumbling and making his own mistakes in the process. Here he's lying. And again, it makes me think of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where it tells us, no temptation has seized us except such as common demand. And God is faithful. He won't let us be tempted beyond what we are able, it says. But with the temptation, he always provides what? The way of escape. And a couple times through this conversation, are you really my son? Your voice sounds like uh, the voice of Jacob, even though you feel, and, and is that really multiple times? Way of escape, way of escape. There's the exit ramp. Take the exit ramp, take the exit ramp. And he just keeps blowing by every exit ramp. And going forward with this whole thing, are you really my son? Esau, I am, verse 25, he says, bring it near to me and I'll eat of my son's game that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near and he ate and he brought wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him and smelled the smell of his clothing. I don't know what that was like for a hunter in those days. <laughs> smelled the smell of his clothing and he blessed him and said surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field no i didn't have sons but i'm I can't imagine what that you know young men's clothes smell like certainly when they're out you know hunting in those days they didn't have downy fresh soft fashion or all that kind of stuff surely he says took a good whip yeah this this is esau surely the smell of my son is like a smell of a field which the lord has blessed Therefore, he says, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who who bless you. So at this point, Isaac now pronounces the blessing upon Jacob. He thinks he's pronouncing this blessing upon Esau. He's still deceived at this point, thinking that he's fulfilling his own little scheme and defying God's plan and purpose for his own personal agenda and reasons. But he now pronounces the blessing. And notice, with the blessing comes military rulership. He says, be master over your brethren. May nations bow down to you. It's God's provision, God's protection. We see glimmers of back from Genesis chapter 12 there. Cursed be everyone who curses you. Blessed be everyone who blesses you. So this blessing now falls upon Jacob as it rightly was intended to by God's design. Verse 30, now it happened, notice, as soon as Isaac finished blessing Jacob, that Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father. He kind of just slipping out the back door 
that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. You want to talk about a close call. Phew. You know, get these goat skins off of me. And, you know, he gets the blessing and he's walking out the back door. And now here comes Esau, zippity doo don and happy as can be, thinking, all right, I'm going to get that blessing that I always wanted. And he comes walking back through the door now with the game from his hunting, ready to provide the food for his father and receive the blessing after the meal. Verse 31, he also made savory food and brought it into his father and, and said to him, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? So he said, what are you talking about? I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Verse 33, take note of this. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it into me? I ate of it before you came, and I have blessed him. And indeed, he shall be blessed. Interesting, notice verse 33 there that Isaac, when, when this happens and he realizes, uh-oh, what I thought happened didn't just happen. And it says that he trembled exceedingly and he realized this was now Isaac, which means I just blessed someone else. And no doubt he realized what had taken place. And interesting, verse 33 says that he trembled exceedingly. The idea is, is, is that he was like overwhelmed with fear and terror. Why? Because he remembered the word of God and he realized that God had just totally overruled. That here he was thinking that he was going to scheme his little plan and he was going to do what he wanted and he was going to somehow short circuit and defy what God's will was and defy God's plan and purpose and that he and Esau were going to get away with this little thing. Nobody knew about it. And he was going to get away with it and he realizes now that God overruled in the situation and that God completely thwarted his plan and destroyed him and Esau's purposes and that it didn't work out the way that it was supposed to. And, and, and he just is in a sense of, oh my goodness, what did I do? And he realizes now as God has humbled him the recognition that, oh man, I did not get away with what I thought I was going to get away with. And all of a sudden his... House of Cards kind of comes crashing down in a moment where he realizes that God had intervened despite his own efforts and purposes to do the opposite of what God planned. He says, oh no, he says, I have already blessed someone else and he shall be blessed. Well, it didn't take Esau long to catch on what had happened as well. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit, and he has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob, or literally, remember, heel catcher or supplanter? For he has supplanted me now these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing and he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Now, interesting to read Esau's words here. He says, oh, you know, that little deceiver. He says, this is the second time he's done this to me. 
I find it interesting, verse 36, he says, He took away my birthright, and now he's taken away my blessing. The truth of the matter is, despite what Jacob had done in this situation, and what he did back when he got the birthright away from his brother, he says, He took away my birthright. He gave away his birthright. Nobody took away his birthright. He gave away his birthright. Remember for a morsel of food, for a pot of stew, for a bowl of chili? This guy who had the opportunity to you know, have a birthright, to be the spiritual patriarch in the family because he despised his birthright, the Bible says. He didn't care anything about the spiritual privileges or the responsibilities of the birthright to care for the family and to be a spiritual leader in the home. He despised it. And, and nobody took anything away from him. He gave it away. He gave it away. And a lot of times, you know, it's interesting how when people make certain decisions and they make poor choices, they want to turn around and they want to blame things on everybody else. And sometimes they even want to blame things on God. I can't believe, you know, I can't believe they took that away from me or I can't believe God took that away from me. And a lot of times the truth of the matter is when you reduce it back down, that's not the case. We forfeit God's best sometimes because of our own poor choices. Because we choose the flesh and we despise the things of God and we devalue what really matters. And we make a poor, sinful, selfish choice to indulge ourselves with some sinful pleasure in a moment, which is what Esau did. For the craving of his flesh in one moment to satisfy his own craving, he despised the things of God and he indulged his own selfish and, and sensual and sinful desires. And God didn't take anything away. He gave it away. He forfeited it. Uh, and here Esau, again, kind of not coming to this recognition. The wonderful thing is, listen, when we do that, the important thing is what Esau should be doing, take ownership. Take ownership when you make mistakes. That's the best and healthiest thing to do. And Esau, unfortunately, because of the nature of this man, again, he's just becoming angry and he's concerned. Notice, you keep seeing this repeated cry to his father, Bless me, father. Haven't you reserved a blessing for me? Look at verse 37. Isaac answered and said, Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all that his brethren I have given him to him as servants, with grain and wine I've sustained him, and what shall I do for you now, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. So he's continuing to cry and to plead and to weep over the, the, the reality that there's no blessing available for him. Hebrews 12 gives this commentary on this section of Scripture. Listen to what it says. Lest there be any fornicator or profane, the idea is an ungodly person, like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it, that is, sought the blessing, diligently with tears see the two were connected Esau wanted nothing to do with the spiritual birthright he wanted nothing to do with the responsibility spiritually but yet he wanted the blessing materially and he these two went together the birthright was connected to the blessing and, and he didn't want anything to do with with the responsibilities of, of walking with God and being a spiritual man and a spiritual leader but he wanted the blessing 
He realized the blessing had attached to it prosperity materially and, and governmental power and, and being in charge. And those things, he wanted the material, tangible things. And so because of that now, you see him seeking the blessing. He's not seeking the birthright, seeking the blessing. But it says that, that he was rejected because it says he found no place for repentance. See, Esau could have repented, but, but he never found it in his heart to repent. <clears throat> He weeped and cried because of what he had forfeited and what he gave up and he wasn't experiencing. But he really found, never found a place for genuine repentance in his heart. And see, just because people cry and weep and, and whine over what the, you know, oh, why is it like this now? And, and what? That's not an indication that somebody's necessarily repentant. I have seen many, many people over years cry because of the consequences of their own choices and weep and whine and, and why they, but they're truly not repentant they're maybe sorry they got caught or, or or they may be sad because of now what they have to deal with because of what they've done but there's still no place for repentance in their heart repentance is what god is after not that tears and repentance can't go together but people can whine and cry and and, and weep continuously and never truly have a godly sorrow that leads to repentance where they say, but I'm going to turn. I'm not going to do that again. That's what God is looking for. And Esau, the Bible warns, to be careful that we don't become like Esau, it says, who never found a place for repentance in his heart. He never turned away from who he truly was at heart, and it resulted in difficult times in his own life. Well, verse 39, Isaac, his father, said to him, listen, Verse 39, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and the dew of heaven above. By your sword you shall live. In other words, he would be an aggressive individual with a, a line of very aggressive people. Again, we know they became the Edomites and they were a very violent, aggressive people in that day in the culture. By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck, that there would be a rebellion against the control. And ultimately we know that at different points in history, the Edomites sought to rebel from under the yoke of God's blessing and the governance of Israel and some of the nations in that day. Verse 41, so Esau, take notice, Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing, blessing excuse me, with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. He says, we're going to mourn for the next week, he says, or seven days. And then as soon as that week of mourning is up, he says, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. In other words, she realizes, look, the only thing that is appeasing his conscience right now during this week while we're mourning the death of your father, she says, is the fact that he's telling himself as soon as the funeral week is over, I am going to put my hands around his neck and I am going to strangle him myself and, and kill him. So her instruction to her beloved son, who she realized she had now created quite a hornet's nest between these two brothers, now therefore, my son, she says, obey my voice, arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, which remember was about 500 miles away where she was from, and stay with him a few days. 
until your brother's fury turns away. Again, stay with him a few days, she says, until your brother's anger turns away from you. And then when he calms down and forgets what you've done to him, give him some time to settle down a few days, she says, and then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved, she says, also of both of you in one day? Because she's thinking he's going to, in his anger, kill you. And then as a direct result of that, he's going to be put to death by the society because of the murder in which he commits. And again, take notice. She says, just go away. Go to your uncle Laban, my brother. Hang out there for a few days, and then I'll send for you when it's safe and things are peaceful. And guess what? He ends up being with his brother Laban for over 20 years, not a few days. And he never comes back, and him and his mother never see each other again. And ultimately, she loses this son in a much greater way than she could have ever imagined as she, in a sense, drives him away and doesn't even have the opportunity to see his face again before she dies. In verse 46, Rebekah then said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife because of the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me, he says. In other words, she's saying, look, if if now Jacob takes wives, remember we saw in the prior chapter where Esau took wives of the Canaanite people, and it says they became a grief of mind to the parents because they took these pagan, ungodly wives. Esau took these two wives to himself. So Rebecca says, look, I don't want to say the same thing happened with Jacob. We need to send him away so that he doesn't marry women who are pagan, idolatrous uh, you know, women that bring more grief into our family. But no doubt, again, her gears are turning. And what is she thinking about? Whatever I have to do to just get him out of here. And of course, as she makes this suggestion, says, look, we need to get him out of here before he makes the same mistake as his brother, because she realizes what's happening. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Again, this had nothing to do with a, you know, a racial or an ethnic thing. That's not what this is saying. What the concern was, the Canaanites were idolaters, and they did not want them to be spiritually unequally yoked with idolatrous people because of that unequal yoke spiritually. So he's given the command, listen, do not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Instead, the instruction from his father, listen, arise, Go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples. And may he give you the blessing of Abraham to your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac, again, he seems to come back around now. He recognizes maybe the error of what he has just done and how God overruled. So he comes into compliance with what God's heart is, and he now does here purposefully, he's not deceived this time, he now purposely and willfully, conscious of what he's doing, pronounces a blessing and he's seeking to confer that Abrahamic blessing and covenant upon his son 
through his words of faith as he's sort of praying and prophesying over his son here. He says, may God bless you and make you fruitful. May he give you, notice verse 4 very clearly, may God give you the blessing of Abraham. He realized that was the right way things were to happen according to God's plan. And to your descendants with you that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. Again, we take note of this. Again, the land belongs to God. God gives the land to who God wants to give the land to. And again, we, as we look again today of what's going on in all the firestorm in the media with the land of Israel, the, the land, really, it's God's land. And God gave the land to Abraham and to his descendants. And if God owns the land, he can give the land to who he wants to. And for us to enter in and to take God's land and to say, well, we can give it to this person or we should give it to that person for the sake of peace, that's foolish. Because the Bible is very clear who the land was given to by divine decree. It's the only piece of real estate that we know of on the planet that has been divinely given by God Almighty, the Creator, to a particular people. It's the only piece of real estate we know that's true of. Is that land specifically here? He says, may you inherit the land in which you're a stranger, which God gave to your father Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padamaram, to Laban the son of Bethuel the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of, mother of Jacob and Esau. So he goes off now toward his uncle Laban's to seek a wife among the family there, even as his father Isaac had uh, remember the servant go and find a wife for there and bring back a wife for him. He's now commissioned, interesting, to go himself because they want to create separation because of the tension. Well, verse 6, Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take himself a wife from there and that as he blessed him, he also gave him a charge saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Again, God planned that we would not be unequally yoked as his children. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Paddan Aram. Also, Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. Therefore, verse 9, Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebahath to be his wife in addition to the wives that he had. So, interesting, at this point Esau recognizing what's taking place, how these first set of wives that he had married were a grief of mind to his parents and that his father and mother had just given a charge to Isaac and said, listen, or excuse me, to Jacob saying, listen, don't take ungodly wives among these pagan people. We want you to go out and to find a wife who will worship the one true and living God and that as he obeyed, this pleased his parents. And now Esau, it's almost like, you know, here he is last minute, he's trying to come back around and he's trying to win his parents' approval and win his parents' affection. And again, even as a grown man, it's amazing how kids desire so strongly the approval and the acceptance of their parents. So he says, it's almost like he's trying to fix the problem after it's already been created. One commentator said, it, you know, it, it's like closing the barn door after you've already let the horses out. You know, <laughs> And, and, and he, he's already in error. He's already made mistakes. 
but he's thinking, well, maybe I can compensate for it somehow if I just go over to, I'll go see Uncle Ishmael, and he's kind of close, and maybe if I marry somebody from that family line, that'll make mom and dad happy. And, you know, you look at this whole story here, and you realize this family is a mess. <laughs> I mean, what a mess. And a mess because of one really simple fundamental thing. Instead of just trusting God to fulfill his purposes and his plans in his ways and his time, they're all trying to scheme and manipulate in the works of their own flesh to bring about something and to counteract one another in such a way that really they're destroying their own family in the process. And all of them, in some sense, I think, share a measure of guilt with being out of tune with the Lord. Now, the wonderful thing we'll see in the, in the verses ahead as we pick up next week, that ultimately, God deals with Jacob, and God intervenes in his grace, and he reveals himself to Jacob, and he begins to set this guy's heart aright. But you know, we look at this and we think about what's happening. Here's Isaac and Esau, and they're conniving to do something in opposition to God's plan. But then you have, as a counteraction of that, Rebecca and Jacob, and they begin to try and work their plan because they're thinking, hey, they're not going to do the right thing, so we need to get involved and stop them from doing the wrong thing. And the reality is this. Isn't God more than able to do what God's going to do if we just keep our little fingers off of things and let God be God. I mean, just contemplate it for a minute. Let's say that Rebecca and, and Jacob never came up with their little scheme to try and counteract and deceive and trick Pops into making sure he blessed the right son instead of the wrong son. Let's say they never did that. And let's say everything went through and Esau went out and he came back with the food, and Isaac pronounced a blessing over Esau. Listen, who really is the one that blesses? Is it a human being or is it God? It's God. So Isaac could have said all the blessings he wanted to. He could have said everything in the most, I bless you in this way and bless you in that way. Something isn't blessed unless God blesses it. Unless God's blessing is on something, it doesn't matter what people do. And that's such an important reminder to us because the life of faith is a life that doesn't scheme. And be careful because we see things and we get concerned and worried and so often we're so quick to try and jump in and put our hand and fix things or try and make things happen and we think we have to help God out. Listen, just let go. Trust the Lord, have an open hand, and God is more than able to fulfill his purposes, to fulfill his plans, and we can just let God be God. And in a lot of ways, when we do that, we don't end up having a lot of our own regrets because of things that we did that we wish we didn't. We don't end up creating a lot of the wounds that we do among our families and our marriages and in parent-child relationships. I mean, this family really made a mess, and a lot of hurt and heartache took place because of just some really impulsive, poor decisions instead of just trusting the Lord with matters. So I, again, my encouragement to you is this. Let God be God. Just let him be God, and he's more than able. Even when people won't let him rule, he's more than able to overrule. He's able, right? Let's stand. Let's pray together.
Read ahead. I don't want to touch into that next section because we get a really wonderful encounter between Jacob and God in that next section, and we want to take our time to look at that together. Father, thank you for these things to see and to study together from your word in this 27th and portion of the 28th chapter. And Lord, we pray for ourselves. Lord, we read these things, and by golly, we can see in them, Lord, just mirror images of ourself, the ways in which at times we can be guilty of the same kind of things. Lord, help us in the weakness of our flesh and our own tendencies. Lord, help us to have a greater measure of faith, to just relax and to trust you, to trust that you're in charge, Lord, to trust that you're able and that you are on the throne and that you will fulfill your plans and your purposes, irregardless of what human beings are doing among us and around us. And Lord, help us not to put our hand in and to meddle and to make a bigger mess of things that would, Lord, just cause hurt and harm among relationships. Just please help us. Lord, give us faith and submissive spirits to trust you and to let you work in and among our lives. And we commit this week ahead to you, Lord. Strengthen us. Bless my brothers and sisters, Lord, as they've come and been in your presence. I pray that they would leave with a greater sense of your spirit's awareness in their life and walk in your spirit in the remainder of this week ahead. And we ask these things together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen.